very much. Appreciate all the song service. I appreciate godly music. And um, it's so powerful. Well, music's powerful, period, whichever way you use it. And thank God for the godly music. My mother, of the last um, three years of her life, of her life had dementia. And she lived in Texas, Fort Worth, Texas, and I was pastoring in Oklahoma. And I didn't want her to go to the nursing home, Pastor. I said, Mama, we have plenty of room in Oklahoma. You can come up here and stay with us. And she hadn't been up there, you know. But my mother was a Texas girl, and she said, Lord knows, son, if, if I come to Oklahoma and the Lord comes and I don't get back across the state line, I won't get to go. <laughs> and uh, she would not move. Um, so she didn't have dementia at that point, but not too long in a nursing home, a year or so, uh, she got it. And this is about 300 miles from me, and I drive down every three months and spend the day with my mom. And I'm never going to forget the day I drove down to spend the day with my mom, and she didn't know who I was. Now, that is not fun. And some of you maybe have faced that. So I just sat there. I tried coming in the side door. Well, ma'am, how many children do you have? No, I didn't have any children. And so my sister and I were just kind of out in the dark. Anyway, I moved this along. So I guess maybe for nearly a year. I would just do that. All I could do is sit there, and someone says, well, if she doesn't know you, uh, then why do you go? I said, because I know her. She's my mother. And uh, so I was sitting there, Pastor, and I, I just started humming a church song. Just like that, she was in there. Every word. I said, what kind of deal is this? You don't know your son. You don't know your daughter. And we're singing these songs, and so from then on, every time I went down, i just sing songs, and she'd be right in there. It was a blessed time. I thought, is that powerful or not? And a lot of these great old songs are full of doctrine. You know, it really is just, just great. Well, thank you for the opportunity, preacher. I, I'm just on my way back down towards Clovis, the last stop we have before going home to Stillwater. I'm just going to come in and go to church and sit back and let him preach, and I wanted to hear him preach. I call that a... Greyhound bus day. Remember on the back they used to say, sit back and leave the driving to us. So when I had another preacher fill in for me, I just called it a Greyhound bus day. But I was going to have one tonight. Well, he took away my bus ticket, so. Glad my wife Grace can be with me right here on the second row. We have knocked out 58 years and working on 59, and she's been a great helpmate to me and a great mother to my son. Well, let me invite you to Romans chapter 1 tonight. Romans chapter 1. And if you're able to stand in honor for the reading of God's Word, then I would ask you to do that. And if you cannot, then certainly the Lord knows. Romans chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 18 through the end of the chapter. It's lengthy. But we'll try to move right along. I think every section of Scripture has a primary burden to it, and hopefully I've caught it. But with a proposition tonight that unthankfulness is the terminal attitude of man. Unthankfulness is the terminal attitude of man. Understand the word terminal. When you uh, go to the airport, and you go to the terminal, Get on the plane. When the plane lands, it taxes up to the terminal and you get off. And I took my granddaughter on a train ride down into Texas, into Fort Worth, a while back when she was younger. And 
we got to the terminal and that was the end of the trip and I want to be careful with this one but medically speaking that's not one of the words that we would want to hear so unthankfulness is the terminal attitude of man okay verse 18 of Romans chapter 1 if you'll follow along silently and I'm going to stop just a little on the way through and then then we'll get on down to the bottom and get started for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they were without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Now, the next few verses, I want to give you three steps that mankind makes, and God responds to it. Verse 23. And change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Then God responds in verse 24. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Second move by man. Verse 25. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. God responds in verse 26. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. Verse 28 has both man's move and God's response. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. I want to stop for a moment there and say, I saw some billboards a while back and uh, said, can man live without God? And it says millions have. It's really close here. And, what we're in. and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Now, I'm going to read the rest, but before I do that, I'm going to ask you to do one more thing for me. Now, this is uh, the letter to the Romans. I would like in your mind to make it a letter to Americans. And if there's anything that you read that is not true about Americans, show it to me after the service. You don't understand, you know, as far as our socioeconomic base of politics and things, that we are more like Rome than any other nation. We're a republic, and theologically speaking, we're more like Israel than any other nation. And I also want to say about this section before you misunderstand me, and you know this is a section that deals with, um, you know, homosexual movement and so forth to degree. My sin put Christ on the cross all by itself. No one else had to help me. I was able to do that by myself. At the same time, 
I'm true to God's word. And this, they didn't, these people didn't just go to sleep one night and wake up the next morning like that. It's right here. There are steps uh, that we take. But now let's just look at the last few verses and see if this probably doesn't fit America. Verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege to be in this good church tonight. And what a beautiful edifice, sanctuary they have built to honor you. And you deserve our very best, not only in the way we live or act, but everything that we do. You tell us what's of our hand finds to do, to do it with our might, because we who name your name represent you. And many times people watch us very carefully when we don't even know it. So thank you to this good congregation and this pastor who paid the price to have a piece of property like this and a building like this to bring honor to your name. I pray now that you would illumine our hearts and our minds to understand Bible truth. And then as we understand it, we'd realize it's incumbent on us to adhere to it. Whatever is accomplished by our being together, we'll give you all the glory and all the praise. And we ask it in the most gracious name and for Christ's sake, amen. And you may be seated. Now, as I read these verses, I'm thinking that there was one particular verse that was somewhat pivotal. Uh, you understand what I mean by that? Something that's kind of right at the top. Uh, pivotal, maybe we could say, with uh, some of those balances we use legally speaking, more weight on one side than the other. Or I can remember when I was in Bible college in Springfield, going out to preach at a little church in Crocker, Missouri, way out in the country. The weather had been awful. There was ice. There was snow. And I'm figuring if anybody's going anyplace in bad weather, it ought to be the people of God to go to the house of God. When I went to Eastland Baptist Church, I said, now don't ever call me and ask if we're going to have church. If you think it's too dangerous to come, that's your decision, but we're going to have it. But then, of course, the pastor knows a tornado came on a Friday evening and leveled the building. Not one wall left. And a lady called me on Saturday and says, Pastor, I'm not asking if we're having church, but where <laughs> are we going to have it? And I, I just wanted to feel that way. If Christ can go up that cross the way he did for me, I can at least go to church when the weather's not all that conducive. I'm saying I'm making a whole lot of friends completely here about that, but we're just real strong about really, you know, serving the Lord. Well, I was went over this hill on Interstate 44, and when I got to the top, and it was icy and snowy, and I looked down to the bottom, and there were about four or five cars all over the place. I was just glad I was driving a real car, which was a 1966 Chevy Impala rear-wheel drive. Some of y'all know about that. So I could slow that thing down with those back wheels, and I was able to miss that. But once I was over then I was committed. 
As I've read through this so many times and trying to find what I think God had for me, then it was actually verse 21 that just kind of flamed up from the page at me. Because it when they knew God. Now that's an important statement. When we know God, our obligation increases. Many out here don't know the Lord. They don't know what's right. They don't know what's wrong. They know something, but they don't know everything. But once we come to know the Lord, we have a much greater responsibility to do those things that are right and to honor the Lord. So these people knew the Lord. The Romans knew the Lord, and Americans know about the Lord. We both do. Because when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. We are to do that as much as we possibly can. And here we go. Neither were thankful. I'm going to suggest when we're thankful, we will bring glory to God. We know we should. And if we're thankful, I believe that's going to happen. Neither were thankful, but, and this is a strong one, the commentators say, became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Now really, if you read history, early on in Rome was one of the best uh, countries you could ever live in. Similarities are great between America and Rome. Rome was never conquered from the outside. It fell apart from the inside, morally speaking. The moral fiber disintegrated in that great empire. We think we're something because we're the world power and we are 200 and something years old. The legal system in Rome was over a thousand years in developing by itself and you can't take law without studying Roman law. I'm just telling you that was a great nation in a lot of ways. I'm not saying a Christian nation as such, but a good place for a citizen to live. But then uh, finally they just came apart. Now America might not ever be taken from the outside, I don't know. But they don't have to. Because we're following in the footsteps of Rome at an ever-increasing rate of speed. We are coming apart at the seams, morally speaking. You cannot make it, morally speaking, without God's help. Now, when you don't have people that believes in morals, you have people that don't have good ethics and things like that, then eventually you're going to have to go to socialism. And if that doesn't fix it, you're going to have to go to communism and have an iron fist. A democracy cannot exist without people that are godly. And many have said that long time before me in our country's heritage. Now, I'm not too much on... Um, Quotes, but I, except for this particular sermon, and I'm going to have to read these and make sure I get them right. And then remind you again that our main thought is unthankfulness is the terminal attitude of man. Now, Charles Haddon Spurgeon had made the statement, We must thank God for the mercies we have, or else we will not have others. What a great statement. Are you thankful for the mercy of God that comes in your direction? Thank God for His grace. Thank God for His mercy. And if we can't thank Him for what He's already given us, I don't know why He maybe should send anything else our way. Or the Greek, Epictetus said, He is a wise man 
who does not grieve for the things which he has not, but rejoices for those things which he does have. I'm thankful for what I have. I don't have near as much as a lot of people. I'm sure I have more than some. But I look back over the years. I was born in World War II. My dad had a third grade education for the most part. My dad couldn't read. I never saw him read a book one time. Because of that, he had many old jobs. We never had any money or anything like that. But I was a pretty happy kid. As a matter of fact, I thought I was probably had a lot more than a lot of kids have today. The difference is they've got virtual reality, and I had reality. You say you like it better? Yeah. You bring your hamburger up on your screen, I'll get mine over here and eat it. You know what? Is that okay? <laughs> and by the way, I could stay there a long time, I guess. One of the reasons I think that kids growing up when I grew up probably had a little bit of understanding of God that no one had to tell them is because most everything I played with, God made. Wasps. <laughs> Red ants. Corn cobs with feathers in the back. How many kids today play with anything that God just made? If everything they get their hands on is made by man, you say, I wonder why they don't wonder why they don't think anything about God. You do? Well, get the brain in gear because God made some wonderful stuff. And in fact, is it's unmatched by anybody else. I, growing up as a kid, I had to fix everything I had, so I was in the business of collecting some craftsman tools. I still have the first electric drill I ever bought, and no, it wasn't variable speed, and no, it didn't have reverse. <laughs> it didn't have any of that, but it was pretty classy. I still got it, and it still works. You say, well, you have gotten something since then. Well, I have, <laughs> but I just kind of hung on to that one, too. And so when I talk about craftsman tools, there's always a mechanic comes up and says, uh, you know, son, you don't have anything until you got some snap-ons. Well, I can't afford any snap-ons. And I've been fixing my cars now for, let's see, 60 years with craftsman tools. But if you've got snap-ons you want to get rid of, come see me after church, and I'll take them off your hand. I'm just thankful for what God has given me. I don't particularly think I deserve anything God has just been good. Not only that, I know what to do with the wrench. I've got friends that don't know the difference in a pair of pliers and a screwdriver. And I'm thankful the Lord helped me out just a bit more than that. The 100th Psalm, verse 4 says, Enter into His gates with thanksgiving, and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him, and bless His name. We're always asking God to bless us, aren't we? And it's okay. It's okay. But I love that verse where, you know, and I, I should have written it down and I didn't, where it says that he sent out the two and then there was a 70, and it says, in that hour Jesus rejoiced. I wonder how often we think about if maybe we could bring a smile to his face today compared to how many times, God, would you give me a good day? It's okay. But is it okay if a friend is good to you, you would be good to them and... They would encourage you and you'd encourage them. And There's never been a friend like Christ. I don't know if I'm able to give him a good day, but I think about it a lot. I do, preacher. If there's anything I could do for you, then I would really, I would want to do that. Now, author W. Pink, 
the commentator said, have we not much more cause to praise Him than to pray? Now think about that for a moment. Have we not more cause to praise Him? Praise is thanksgiving. Have we not more cause to praise Him than to pray? We should be more into praising than into petitioning. So now prayer primarily is asking. And it's okay. You have not because you ask not. I'm not trying to say we shouldn't pray because everything I have, I probably have because I either asked God for it or He just saw that I needed it and He gave it to me. I'm not trying to tell you not to do it. But what if we take a, a, a legal pad and put a line down the middle and write down all the times we're asking Him for something and then how many times we thanked Him for who He is and what He is and what He's done. How do you think that looked? I didn't like it a bit when I thought about it. Because I knew that I'd asked and asked and asked. <laughs> you know, and I never run out of asking. I guess none of us probably do because we are people, you know, of, of great need. Well, Pink's right. We should be a lot more into praising Him and thinking. fact is, and I'm a Baptist, so I'm not picking at you. I think Baptists are probably poor at worshiping and poor at praising. I just think we are. And we should not be. Both of those are very biblical. God inhabits the praise of His people. And in John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, what do you get for the man that has everything? What do you want to give to God? And he, Well, you say, I don't know what to get him. He says, he desires those to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Did you know that praise or worship doesn't cost us one flat dime? It just causes, has to have us to think about what we want to do for the Lord. Well, G.K. Chesterton, he's, an, he's deceased, but a writer that I liked. And let me give you his quote here. Uh, he says, you save grace before meals. Now, you know, that's to thank people for the meal. So let me stop there for a moment because I read a story a while back. And it's about a little town over in Arkansas. All the small towns in Arkansas have a square downtown. They've got a courthouse and then there's businesses around that. And this is way back, and I say, how far back? Probably when I was a kid. And this uh, older man came in in his old pickup truck to do some business at the courthouse. And there's a little cafe across the street. And so he went over to get something to eat. He's by himself, and he's sitting down at his table, and they bring him the food, and he puts his elbows up and just, I mean, puts his uh, face in his hands and begins to thank God. Well, there was three hooligans there, and they got looking at it, snickering and carrying on and laughing and pointing at it. And finally, they came right over to his table. And he finished praying, and he looked up, and he said, Can I help y'all? And they said, Hey, old man, does everybody do that where you come from? He says, No, the hogs don't. <laughs> well, you don't pray before meals. It's okay. You know, I'll pass on here. <laughs> Now, that's not all his quote. G.K. Chesterton. You say grace before meals. All right. But I say grace before the concert, grace before the opera, grace before the play or the pantomime, and grace before I open a book, and grace before sketching, grace before painting or swimming or walking or playing, and grace before I dip my pen in the ink. How are we doing? I read that and got on my knees. Because everything he mentioned I couldn't do if it wasn't for God's grace and goodness to me. And he's been so good. I mean, 
Everything we have, someone says, I have all I have because I work for this person, I work for that person. They may be the conduit. You everything you have because God gave you a brain and arms and legs and eyes and ears. It comes from Him. It may come through somebody else. Make sure you thank the person who deserves the credit for it. It comes from God. You know, Seneca said, we can be thankful to a friend for a few acres or a little money, and yet for the freedom and command of the whole earth. And for the great benefits of our being, our life, our health, our reason, we look upon ourselves as under no obligation. I'll tell you what, you get old enough, you wake up in the morning, and you know you're awake, you'll say, thank you, Lord. <laughs> fact is, the first thing I say to him, good morning, Lord, thank you for who you are and what you are. Everything in my life depends on who he is and what he is. Every single thing. You can't improve on Him. Thank you for who you are and what you are. And then maybe the quote that fits this the best, I'm sure some of you probably read Francis Schaeffer. The beginning of man's rebellion against God <clears throat> was and is the lack of a thankful heart. The beginning of men's rebellion against God was and is the lack of a thankful heart. Adam wasn't thankful that God gave him everything else and reserved just a little. It wasn't enough. He had to be rebellious. Moms and dads, we need to really try to emulate that. We, we need to try to live as thankful people so that our children can. You don't have rebellious teenagers that are thankful. You don't have rebellious little ones that are thankful. You don't have rebellious adults that are thankful. You can be sure that the riots and all the stuff that are going on not coming on from people that are thankful. And I realize there someday may be some times when you have to do something like that, but not like what's going on in our country right now. Now the verse says, they, they knew God, for when they knew God. Well, the Romans knew there was a God, and Americans know there's a God. As a matter of fact, everybody knows there's a God. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day utter speech. Night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. When you read the Psalms, you step outside, does it ever occur to you? I'm looking at the exact same thing that David looked at. Wonder how much of us got as much out of looking at it as David did. When you read the Psalms. It's the same. The only difference is the difference in David and me. And David knew. That ought to register with us and say, God... Help me to see these things more. They say, well, why do we send missionaries? Everybody knows there's a God, but they don't know who He is and what He is. You can't look at all that. I mean, He proves Himself everywhere. You have to send the missionaries. I could say it this way, and then I'll explain. God wrote two books. The first one is general revelation, and that's creation. And creation tells you that God is big, He's powerful, and He's good. You can spend all day talking about that. It tells you that. But it doesn't tell you how to get saved. By the way, that 19th Psalm, you get farther down, 
talks about the creation. And then it says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Wonder how much we pay attention to that. Uh, you notice that Jesus almost always used parables. A parable is a physical story with a spiritual meaning. and Maybe an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So if you take God's two books, which one did he write first? The physical one. You know how much independent Baptists know about the creation? No, I didn't come from a monkey. And it's exhausted. Solomon's supposed to be the wisest man that ever lived. You ever notice how much he pays attention to the creation? Consider the ant, you sluggard. Observe her ways and be wise. And you know, <laughs> if I'd had to be honest, I could really tell you something, but I used to really, like I said, the Renettes, now we had kind of a deal going in. It wasn't, there was no peace treaty. I, I've been reading about ants because I've been working on Solomon's ant. Not A-U-N-T, A-N-T. Did you know that some of those things can get up to like 15 million in population? And that one colony just has one queen, whatever the case. Could you imagine if you could hear the ants talking and they're laughing at the people up here and says, social distancing, huh? <laughs> 15 million of them down in that hole? Oh, by the way, I served four years on a submarine, and you may tell you what, pardon my grammar, there ain't no social distancing going on in a submarine right now. And that's not fair, is it? That's kind of unethical to get after church people, and then they send our military out there and just to do all those kind of things. God has revealed himself in creation. God has revealed himself in history. I love what J.A. Fruday said. I read this quote, I don't know how many years ago. He said, one thing and one thing only, history teaches with certainty. That'd be interesting, worth knowing, isn't it? Just one thing that history teaches with certainty. And he said, this is it, that in the long run, things go well for the good. And in the long run, things go ill for the wicked. Check it out. Check the nations and the ones that were good and godly, and how they... Look at the life of Israel and just follow it. And you look at America. If anybody here could explain to me how a baby nation... You say, we're not a baby. We are a baby nation. When you read the New Testament, you read about Spain, you have to know they're at least 2,000 years old, and they're much older than that. And you're reading in the Old Testament, reading about Ethiopia and other countries, you're thinking, well, we're talking 6,000 years and even older than that. Maybe. Couldn't be much older than that. <laughs> and here we are, 200 and something years old. And the world power and have been. How do we get there? That quick. Well, like I said, I spent all my time on submarines, but I had the chance to ride an aircraft carrier one time. Fact is, if the USS Ranger CV-61, they made a movie on that thing years ago called Top Gun. Coming back from the, one of the Gulf Wars, I think under George H.W. Bush, if I'm thinking right. And I had a friend on it who was an officer, and I was able to get on there, and I flew out to Hawaii and got on the Ranger and rode back to San Diego. I couldn't get over the size of that thing, like nearly 5,000 men on it. And I, what I couldn't really get over were those airplanes. 
Those airplanes, they're not all the same, but they got to be going nearly 200 miles an hour to, to, to fly at all. And man, an aircraft carries longer in this auditorium, but it's not real long. From the sky, it looks like a postage stamp. And they don't have enough power. I thought, how will they get those things off the deck? So I stayed up on the flight deck as much as they would let me. And there's a catapult on that thing. Now they're electromagnetic, but on that ship, it was like a, it was like a double barrel shotgun, steam operated. And it's like if you took a rubber band and a spit wad, that catapult threw those airplanes off that carrier. Now, I don't know if you understand it or not. But God loved this country so much because of our founding fathers, he catapulted America to the front. We're riding on their coattails. And a lot of people need to understand it. And if America would get back, if our leaders in America would get back to think the way those men thought back, you wouldn't believe what would happen in this country. But now we're too stinking selfish to get our own way about everything that we want to do. And not just lost people, Christians alike can fall into that trap. In the long run, it goes well for the good. In the long run, it goes ill for the wicked. And I'm sorry to tell you, if you put the balance up right now, America may just be to be classified as a wicked nation. I'm sorry. I put my line, I was at the Cuban Missile Crisis Blockade. That's as close we ever came to World War III. I'll die for America tomorrow. But I'm going to be honest about it. And it's, you say, don't start talking about the stinking politicians because the only people can fix it is the children of God. And the book makes it plain. And uh, we're not really over... Right now, the biggest number of people in America is thinking, there's just enough good stuff left for me, that'll be all right. Don't worry about the kids. Don't worry about the grandkids. But I do worry about them. Not only mine, but yours. Do the best that we can. Abraham Lincoln said, It is the duty of nations as well as of men to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God, to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon, and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures. And look at this and yes, this is a quote by, by Lincoln all the way back. Proven by all history that those nations are blessed whose God is the Lord. He said, well, that's true in America. It is true for some Americans, but it's not true of America as a whole anymore. I hate to say it. It hurts my heart to say that. I, I'd ride that submarine. I was on the submarines back in, joined the Navy in 60 and got out in 66, going to a foreign port and... You know, obviously you've got to be surfaced and the flag's waving in a breeze. So proud. Because the nation's been a friend to a lot of people. America's been a friend to a lot of nations. So proud. And sometimes now I, I, don't, I don't know about how I could feel about that. But now God has also, you know, kind of revealed himself in personification. Um, you say, what do you mean personification? Well, we, like we had uh, two men in our church that were identical twins. I couldn't tell the difference. I'm just looking at them. But when they started talking and I saw their expressions, then I, I could pick it up. Because all of us have a different persona, personification, you might say. 
Now, I was reading, uh, I guess it was, uh, I got to his name, Rabbi Kushner, and he made a statement that kind of made my brain overheat a little bit. He said, can you see the holiness of God in a washing machine or a paved road? Y'all looking at me now. Funny. That's really after me, preacher. That thing's following me out there. <laughs> well, let's think about this for a minute. Um, who's been in Colorado the longest? The, the mountain goats or people? You know, every time I ask that, nobody wants to answer. Have you ever read the creation account? Who was there first? Yeah, the goats. Well, if we come along last, you know, of the creation, and you go out to, uh, you go out there and look at those 14,000 foot mountains or 14 fives or something like that, you're on Interstate 70 going through or whatever, and you look up on the, the hillside and you kind of see a little niche, and it's the first road. Somebody, now that was made by men, not by guys like us. Can you imagine your wagon turned about like that and boulders? Nothing pneumatic, no backhoes, some kind of a rod and a pick. And man, what kind of people they had to be, preacher. And now I'm cruising at 70 miles an hour. Uh, do you know the billy goats are still getting up and down the mountain the same way they always did? That's kind of like horses. You ever seen one build a barn? One thing about horses, you can tell which way the wind's blowing or the way they turn. See, what's the difference? Uh, get back to verse 21. Because it, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became in their imaginations. Have you ever thought about your imagination? If somebody hadn't had one, you're walking home tonight. There wouldn't be any lights. No AC. You do word studies, imagination, image, a nation. We are creators. We're the only creature that is a creator because we're made in God's image. Our persona is from God. But look what happens here in verse 21. Because when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. Well, let's just stop again. What about the word vain? What does that mean? Vain means empty. Now, you've got to remember that America, after she was birthed and was following the Lord, went forward like you can't believe. It was unbelievable. So I was at McDonald's here a few years ago, and I go in and order something. I don't remember what I ordered. That's not important. But I remember the cost, $3.10. And I got a $5 bill out and put it on the counter. And then I reached in my pocket and found a dime and pulled out my dime. And the boy behind the counter, the high school boy, said, don't even think about it. Y'all neither? You don't know what you do if you owe $3.10? You give, thank you, ma'am. I was losing all hope. 
$3.10, and you don't want a pocket full of change, you pull out a dime, and all he'd have to do is take the dime and give me two bucks. Y'all, y'all take math in this school now here, don't you? I got a friend in the Air Force named Ron Todd, or he was in the Air Force. We were in Charleston, South Carolina together. When I was in the Navy, he was in the Air Force. We went to the same church when we were home. And he was single, and I was married, and my wife's a good cook. And he found that out. He, started, he nearly lived with us. And then he got to the point he'd go to the grocery store when she bought groceries to make sure she got the right stuff. He wasn't paying for any of it. Now, I'll need some more help, and I'm just I'm getting scared about it. There's got to be somebody in here close to my age that's brain still works. Any of y'all know what a 10-key cash register is? You do? Okay. We've got several that do. So if I'm not telling the truth so people know when I, when I'm going to demonstrate it, then you stand up and tell me. So, you know, back in the old days, they put the price on the can. What a novel idea. You don't have to run find anybody. It's right there. You can just look at it and tell. But these ladies, they put them. I sat groceries when I was a kid. And, man, those groceries are coming by there, I mean, really about like this. They're going, I'm telling you, it's unbelievable. I could hardly put them in a sack as fast as they could check them out. Not exactly like, beep, beep. <laughs> They'd have a sack full by the time you could get three things across. But here's my friend Ron. He's watching it. Last one to go across, Ron say $13.47. Nine times out of ten, he's right. That wasn't all that unusual back then. $3.10, dime. Don't even think about it. Did you know they could start, they could design a new plane and turn it out, some of the best planes America ever built during World War II in less than two years from the time they conceived it till they built it and it's flying, and some of them are still flying today? And it took 15 years for Boeing to get the Dreamliner worked out right? I'm telling you, you take God out, He's the Creator. You'll take your creativity out. We're falling behind all the time. Rather than thanking God for all He's done for us and try to use it the right way, our minds become what they are. So it became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Well, I know this may be not a real positive message, but hopefully it'll, it'll be a, a help and a blessing. Sarah Ben Brethnick said, You simply will not be the same person Two months from now, after you consciously start giving thanks each day for the abundance that exists in your life, and you will have set in motion an ancient spiritual law, the more you have and that you're thankful for, the more that's going to come your way. This text changed my prayer life, Pastor. And the way I, my morning starts, I get up pretty early and uh, usually quite a bit before my wife and do something real spiritual, I go down and make coffee. Our bedroom's upstairs. It's spiritual for me to make coffee. The book says Hebrews. 
In fact, as my wife said, just make it and bring it up to her because it's not a girl's job, it's the man's job to make the coffee. So I make coffee and I go into my office, and if this didn't fit you, it's okay with me, and I have a good cup of coffee and read the Word of God. And after I've had coffee and just read His Word, and read my certain amount each day or whatever, I just slide out of my chair in my office, get on my knees, bury my face, and have some prayer time with the Lord. Now, used to, I always started this way. Lord, be with Grace today. She's a good wife and a good mom and hard worker. Just be with Grace. And, and be with my son, who is also my pastor now. And, and, and then I start praying for my family. And then I start praying for my preacher friends. And I, and I primarily remember them geographically by going around the country. I just remember it better that way. You say, what did it change? I don't say anymore, Lord, be with grace today. I say it, but not first. Thank you, Lord, for grace. She's a good wife. She's a godly woman. Thank you for her. <laughs> Thank you for a godly son. Thank you for godly grandchildren that are serving you. Thank you, Lord. You know, you start doing that, you spend a lot of time just thanking the Lord for it. When I was in Charleston, we went to Hanahan Baptist Church. The pastor's name was Hobson Wolf. Brother Wolf had never been to any Bible college, but he loved the Lord. And he could preach. And he'd tear you up. And it's what I needed as a young man in the military. And um, so after three years, we're in that church about three and a half years because the Navy had moved me around. And we moved back to Texas. And one day I said to my wife, I said, hey, baby, um, I don't think we ever expressed our appreciation to Brother Wolf like we should have. We sure did grow a lot under his ministry. She said, uh, yeah, he, we sure did. And she said, um, you going to call him? I said, nah, I don't think that'll work. You going to write him a letter because I'm a letter writer? I said, no. And then she said, do you remember this 1,200 miles from here to Charleston, South Carolina? I said, I do remember. We better get it on the calendar. He put it on the calendar. Time came. We drove out to our preacher. We checked with some people without him knowing to make sure he was in town. He was home. Went up and knocked on his door. He came to the door. I wish I could talk like I'm people in South Carolina. It says, he said, well, Lord, have mercy. What are you kids doing here? Get in this here house. And uh, no one's called us kids for a while, but if anybody wants to, it's okay with us, you know. And so we came in. It was so good. Sat down and talked for about five or ten minutes. And he said, well, what brings you kids out here? And we were like early 30s back then. To him, we were kids, I guess. I said, Brother Wolf, we came here to tell you thank you for faithfully preaching the Word of God every service to us. We needed it, and we really grew under your leadership. We wouldn't have done it without you. Thank you. And he took off talking about something else about 10 or 15 minutes, and then he said, now what brings you kids out here? I said, uh, Brother Wolf, um, you know, when I was here in the Navy... I was here when I was home, but Grayson, my son, was here all the time. And 
Thank you. You just preached the word of God. Our family grew. We want to thank you for it. I'm telling the truth, preacher. In 10 or 15 minutes, he came back third time. But what brings you kids out here? I said, Brother Wolf, look at me. And he looked me right in the eyes. I said, we drove here to thank you for faithfully preaching the word to this sailor and to his wife. And the tears all welled up in his eyes. He never did cry and never did put everything like that. But we had a good time. Came back the next day and visited again and we went home. Wasn't too many months. Got the word. Brother Wolf had gone on to his reward. Somebody says, what's your favorite trip? Well, I've been on a lot of them. I've been in nearly 40 countries. And all the states, I think, except but one. Best trip? The drive from Texas to Charleston, South Carolina. To tell a faithful man of God who made an investment in my life that no one could have made but a man of God. And to tell him, thank you. That's the best trip. These are my last thoughts to you in just one sentence. If tonight, and it could happen, if this night God takes everything and everybody from you you haven't thanked Him for, what are you going to have left? Let's stand.